Well, good morning. Uh, it's uh, a wonderful thing to be able to meet together in the name of Jesus and to be reading one of the four biographies about him as well, the Gospel of John, which we are going through together uh, in church at the moment. There is an outline of my sermon there in your bulletin if you would like to follow along or take any notes. And let me now pray for us uh, before we do have a look at this wonderful passage together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We pray that as you speak to us through it today, that we will have open hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, amen. It's a wonderful thing to see when someone makes a triumphal entrance somewhere. When someone makes a really spectacular entrance. Now, for this to work, they need to have people ready to receive them, don't they? No matter how spectacular an entrance it is, if people aren't there willing to cheer them on, well, it's all going to fall flat, isn't it? One of the most spectacular entrances I like to see is every four years during the Olympic Games when the, the home team makes the entrance at the opening ceremony. Everyone knows that it's coming, everyone's anticipating it, and everyone cheers as loudly as they can when that team finally makes their entrance into the stadium. They know everything that they've done. They know that some of them are probably world champions as well. But even more, it's an expectation of what they're going to do, what they hope they're going to do. People put their hopes into these people. But it isn't everyone, isn't it? It's only the home crowd. People cheering for all the other teams, well, I'm sure they'll politely clap as well. But it's only the home crowd that really cheers them as conquering heroes into the stadium. It's wonderful to have heroes to be able to cheer for. And it's very easy for us to be drawn to all sorts of different heroic figures. But we can also be skeptical of them. And that's rightly so. Because are there many true heroes out there that we can fully cheer for about everything they've done and everything that they've said? Would you really go out and cheer for so many of the people that come and claim to be heroes, whether they be political heroes or military heroes, religious heroes and even sporting heroes, because they can all let us down, not deliver what they promise, or have some kind of failing in their life that makes us less likely to want to cheer for them. It can be hard to find a hero that even the whole country is willing to cheer for, let alone the whole world. Well, in today's passage, Jesus is welcomed as a conquering hero into the capital city, Jerusalem. And I think it's a passage that encourages each of us to consider how we can welcome Jesus as the hero he is into our lives as well, into our hearts. And so first of all, in this passage from John 12, we see that a great crowd is going out to meet Jesus. It says there in verse 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival, come for the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. You see, Jesus has just been in Bethany, a few miles away from Jerusalem. He's been anointed, and even there, crowds of people, they've been drawn to him because they've heard what he's done. Specifically, they've heard that he rose someone from the dead. Lazarus. People even go and s to see Lazarus, 
probably to touch him as well, to check that he's real, because they had all heard the news that he had died and now he was alive. And the reason there are so many crowds here is because they're in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Thousands would come, including many from Galilee, where Jesus had been preaching and doing so many miracles and signs. There wasn't room in the city for them, so they would live in tent communities on the outskirts of the city. And so these would have been the first people to see see Jesus as he and the crowd with him entered into the city. As he crossed the crest of the mountain and would be able to see the temple there in the distance. It's about a similar distance from here to, say, Bondi Junction, if you were to go down the hill and then buck back up again, with the temple being approximately where Westfield is, if you can imagine that. In fact, the historian Josephus, who speaks of Jesus as well, he describes one Passover uh, a few decades later where he claims there were 2.7 million people taking part. Now, I think there's a very good chance that he had inflated the figures for effect. But either way, there were thousands and thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands. And we read in verse 13 that they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. It was a saying that would be shouted when a conquering hero came home. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, something that would be said to all people who were able to come peacefully into the city, a traveler from afar. If they came in the name of the Lord, then they were blessed. And most importantly, blessed is the king of Israel. Because, of course, Israel hadn't had a king for many years, and they hadn't had a good king for much, much longer than that. But... They knew that a king was promised, that a hero was promised, someone they could all get behind and welcome and cheer for. This is one of those um, events that is mentioned in all four Gospels, showing us how important it is. But interestingly, this is the only one that mentions people taking palm branches down. So yes, there is a good reason for us having palm branches when we celebrate this on Palm Sunday, a week before Christmas. Now, triumphal entries, they were common in the ancient world. A conquering hero or a king would return to their city, bringing the spoils of battle and stories of conquest. And when John is saying that a crowd went out to meet him, well, this is common in ancient cities as well. And so Jesus is welcomed as one of those conquering heroes, but it's the way that he's traveling that is so different, so out of character for what a conquering hero would be doing. It says in verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. He is sitting on a donkey. Not what you would expect from a conquering hero. You would expect an impressive war horse of some kind but he's showing that he's a different kind of hero. And he is pointing them to a verse from Zechariah. He's pointing to a verse there, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly 
and riding on a donkey. John, as he's writing this, he knows this verse. That's why he quotes it for us there in verse 15 of our passage today. But the people were still so excited to see him, weren't they? Because they obviously knew this verse as well. And Jesus knew that they knew this verse. That's why he chose the donkey, so that he could self-consciously align himself with this prophesied king. And of course, the people go wild. They have their hero. They have someone they can unite behind. They have the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. So as he comes in, the people are overjoyed. But do they really understand what is happening? Our third point there in our outline, how to understand all this. Even his disciples, it says there in verse 16, they didn't understand all this until much later. They knew that this was special. They knew this was an out-of-the-ordinary event. They knew that Jesus wasn't like other heroes people had got behind. Rising people from the dead, that is not an everyday occurrence. That just doesn't happen. And yet Jesus, according to the Gospels, had done it three times. But John knew that he was this prophesied king. His disciples, though, including John at this point, they still don't understand, and they won't understand until he is glorified, until his death on the cross, his rising to new life. Not until then do they understand that he came not to conquer one nation or one region of the world, but to conquer a much bigger problem, our own rebellion from God that is inside each of our hearts, to pay that price so that all of us can cheer for him as a conquering king in our lives as well. And so Jesus is fulfilling the things written about him and the things done to him. The things written about him, of course, there in Zechariah, but also in other Old Testament passages as well. And these things being done to him, the crowds of people coming out to shout Hosanna, to greet him from in front and from behind. Well, these only make us think of the things that will be done to him in the week to come. We know where Jesus is headed, but the people around him don't know yet. But this great crowd, they understand enough to want to spread the news that they know, to spread the word that this man who had even risen a man from the dead, he was entering the city there to conquer it in some way. It says there in verse, uh, verse 17 that the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. This passage shows us how extraordinary Lazarus's rising from the dead really was. What an effect it had on the community how the news of it really spread. Because it's a miracle of Jesus that many of us will have heard many times before, we can forget just what an effect it had on those who witnessed it, on the surrounding communities as well. But not everyone 
is so excited to see Jesus. In verse 19, it says, The Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Because, first of all, it's infuriating the Pharisees what is happening here. Now, last week, we saw that the high priests were frustrated with Jesus. When they heard what had happened with Lazarus, they decided to kill Lazarus along with Jesus because people were believing in Jesus because of him. And now it's the Pharisees' turn to be frustrated as well at this crowd that is welcoming Jesus, that is putting a whole different spin on the Passover festival that they were so intimately involved in. What were they hoping would happen? Were they hoping that everyone would just forget about Jesus, turn their backs on him, that no one would really care when he came into the city? Whatever they were thinking, they comment to one another that this is getting them nowhere. Whatever plans they had put in place at this point, they were not coming to pass. Because like they say there in verse 19, It looks like the whole world has gone after him. This is something the Pharisees said about Jesus, but John includes it here to show us the irony in what they have said. Because when the Pharisees say that the world has gone after him, the deeper meaning there is that he is here so that the whole world may have the opportunity of going after him. We know that he is truly there for the whole world, not just for one city or one nation. Back in chapter 3 of John, verse 17, God says to us, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's the same world that's being talked about, a world that's in rebellion, a world that doesn't know him, but a world that can know God through Jesus. And so the people are welcoming Jesus into the city, but they're also going after him. They're coming after him from Bethany in this procession. And the people in the city, they don't even wait for him to come closer. They go out to meet him. And so we too can welcome Jesus into our lives, into our community, as the hero he truly is. Yes, he is humble. He's riding on a donkey, the king of the universe. But we know what he did to prove his heroism, that he was not some conquering military leader or political leader or even a sporting hero. He came to conquer sin in the world. And so... On whose terms are we going to welcome him in? Are we going to welcome him in on our terms or on his terms? On our terms might be for him to be someone we can go to when we feel the need, someone who can help us when we need something, someone that we can uh, know will be there for us. Now, all those things are true, but on his terms is so much more than that. He is, in fact, the Lord of our lives. And so, if you've never thought about going out after Jesus in your life, I encourage you to do that as well. 
Go after Jesus. Again, not on our terms, but on his. Knowing that he was not a conquering hero to make our lives comfortable or wealthy or even happy, but to do much more than that. To show us the wealth of his eternal kingdom, the happiness, the true joy of being part of that and part of a family of believers centred on him. Now, Jesus is truly worth going after. He is the hero who can unite not just one country and not just for a short time, but the whole world and for eternity. And the same John, John the disciple, who wrote this account here today of Jesus entering Jerusalem, in the book of Revelation, he also wrote a vision that God gave him of what heaven looks like. And it picks up on some of the same themes from this passage as well. Let me read it to you from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for the encouragement that it is. We pray that each of us will go after Jesus as the conquering hero he is, knowing that, yes, he is there for us. Yes, he does care for us. And most importantly, your son, our Lord, the king of the universe, has conquered sin. And so we pray that in our lives, in our community, we will welcome him as the hero that you have shown him to be. And in his name we pray. Amen.